Welcome to our podcast here at Encounter Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We pray that as you listen to this message, you will not only be challenged, but changed. Our desire is to be a place where life starts, love happens, and purpose is revealed. If you're in our area, join us on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. and every first Wednesday at 6.45 p.m. For more information about our church, you can visit us at EncounterChurch.today or follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Periscope. Just search eChurchBR. We invite you now to open your hearts to receive what God has for you. Here's today's message. You know, the problem that we have is, yes, sex is good, but there's not only a physical aspect to it, there's also an emotional aspect to it. And that, that's why society has got it wrong over and over again. Why? Because sex brings us to a place of false commitment in a relationship. And we're told if it feels good, if it makes you happy, go for it. Look at this statement tonight. Why say no to sex when yes is so easy? That's what society tells us today. And to be fair, I think the reason why there's a lot of confusion is the church hasn't really talked about it. Here's what the church says about sex and dating and relationships most of the time. No. Well, what about sex? No. It's almost like made it something bad and it's something ugly. So we're almost afraid to talk about it because all we hear is sex. No. No. Not before marriage. No, 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 no. And they've said no and really nothing more. Look at the scripture from 1 Thessalonians 4, 5, 3 through 5 and 7. It's God's will that you should be sanctified. The thought there is set apart. That you should avoid sexual immorality, sinning sexually. That each of you should learn to, what? Control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Notice the Bible says you've got to control your body in that which is holy and honorable, not if it makes you feel good. And so that's what society says. If it feels good, it has to be good. It has to be God. It is But yet it's got to be in the proper order. So let's read on. Not in passionate lust, live like the heathens who do not know God. Verse 7, for God did not call us to be impure, but God called us to live a holy life. You see, God's word wants us to avoid all sexual immorality and learn control and not allow our sexual sinful desires to control us. Now, God is not labeling sex as bad. God created it to be a good thing. So it's not tonight the question of whether it's good or bad. The question tonight really is about its order, about its order and what God has for us. You should have some slides with that. If you can keep up with me, that would be great. So anything out of proper order can produce significant risk. Listen to me. Anything out of proper order can produce significant risk such as sexually transmitted diseases, higher than ever before today. Unwanted pregnancies, I mean rampant today. And the trail of hurt people who are left disillusioned, they're the obvious dangers. But the ultimate reason why we produce significant risk is this. Are you ready? It's God's will that we wait till marriage. It is God's will. And one thing I've discovered is this. God's plan is always the best. We can think our plan's best, but probably our plan got us to this place. And we realized that our plan didn't work. And I hope we would realize that over and over again. Why? Because that's a greater risk in our lives when we are not living by God's will. Because what happens is we lose the blessing that is available to every one of us. And I believe God wants to bless each and every one of our lives. And sex is such a great attack for each and every one of us. Why? Because Satan is working overtime to undermine God's plan. He wants us to believe that God's order doesn't matter. And so he uses myths like this. Here's two myths that we have today. You ready? You you can have sex without consequences. That's the myth today. You can have sex. And there may be true, maybe without visual consequences, because they've got the morning after pill. People have been having abortion. They're like saying, man, I can deal with my consequences. But can I tell you right now, the visible consequences may exist. But I'm telling you right now, or, or that you may say they don't exist because I can take care of that. But I'm telling you, sex without consequences doesn't exist. 
Because emotionally, spiritually, relationally, it affects you. Here's the myth number two. You can have sex without intimacy. That's what the world has told us today. This pornography that's rampant today. Just they're wanting to take a shortcut from that which is real and genuine. The one night stands, meaning nothing. That's what they're telling us today. That's, it's okay as long as you feel good. And you may look at me tonight, and I know some of you are. You're like, Pastor, this is 2019. You need to get with the times. You need to get with the system. Why? Because why should I wait? Isn't God's, why is God's way better? Let me give you some ways that God's way is better. You ready? Just quickly, and this is all on you version, and you can follow along. You know why God's way is better? Number one, because it will help you to practice faithfulness. When you get married to your number two, because God's your number one, remember last week? When you get married to your number two, what's one of the most important things that you need that person to be to you? Faithful. You want them to be faithful. None of you would marry someone to say, man, let's just have an unfaithful relationship. You marry that person because you want to be with only them and them only be with you for the rest of their lives. But to succeed in that faithfulness, listen to me. You've got to first be faithful to your one. Because when you keep your promise to God, you're going to be a whole lot more likely to keep your promise to your spouse one day. So it prepares you for faithfulness to your spouse. Why am I abstaining? Because I'm learning faithfulness for my spouse. Number two, so you can honor your future spouse. Hebrews 13 verse 4 says this, Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. Read that again. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. Who shall honor the marriage bed? What does it say? All. All. You know what all means? Single people and married people. It means all people should honor the marriage bed. So even if you're not married yet, you need to be living a life that honors that intimacy and that commitment and the marriage bed. And the best way, I'm telling you, to honor your spouse is to keep yourself for them. Why is it everyone wants to marry someone who's pure? But they've lived their life to make everyone around them impure. Come on now, I'm just talking truth to you today. No one wants sloppy seconds, but yet we're just out there. Just it's like someone said, someone said, I live my life sowing my oats at night and praying for a harvest fail the next day. That's what people say. And that's the life. But we need to honor our future spouse. If I was to give you all, remember the old machines where you put the quarter in and you get the gum, the gumballs? Remember the gumballs? How many of you would like to take that piece of gum right now and begin to chew it? And then when I said, hand that to the person beside you. You wouldn't want to take someone else's gum that they had chewed. And so what are we doing? We are honoring our spouse. Here's the third reason why we should keep ourselves to gain security. We're told and fed the lie that if you really love me and if you want to feel secure, you'll give your life to me. But Tell me how that worked for you because it made you more secure, more jealous, having greater problems and issues in your life because it was supposed to bring you closer together. But really what it did was it divided you and now you're more insecure about your body and your looks and everything than you ever had been before. Here's the number four. You know why you keep yourself to spice up your marriage life. Come on, your love life in your marriage. Come on, most who fool around before marriage enjoy that short rush of that dangerous sex. And then later, they settle into a more sexual, normal life, which should be totally satisfying to them. But get, listen, it leaves them feeling let down because there's not the rush and the danger and all those kind of things. So you are ruining what God has for that special moment. And I like this one. Why should you? To tell your love story with pride. I'm proud that Kelly and I can stand up here and say our love story is this. We kept ourselves till we were married before we slept together. So we could look at our children. We can look at our church. And we're proud of that story. Because it wasn't easy for Kelly. I had to fight her off of me. I'm telling 
I'm telling you right now. I mean, it was a constant battle for me just to fight her off. But yeah, right. Yeah, right. You're like, yeah, right. But you know what? We wanted to honor God. We wanted to. There was a story one day of a widow and, and she'd been left a lot of money and, and, and she wanted someone to drive her around. And she was like, okay, I'm going to put an ad in the paper and I'm going to see if I can get a chauffeur and someone to take care of me. And there was actually how her house was shaped. There was a retaining wall and where you had to go around the garage. It was it was kind of a tight turn to get in there. So she's interviewing three guys one day and she asked the first guy, she said, listen, have a look at my backyard. How close do you think you can get to that wall without causing a problem? And the guy says, well, listen, I, I lived in New York all my life. Uh, I, I can tell you right now, 18 inches, I can get you within 18 inches of that wall because I'm skilled going through all the traffic and everything. So she turns to the second guy and she says, how close do you think you can get me? And he said, 18 inches, man, I can half that. I can get you within nine inches of that wall. Uh, I've been trained. Uh, I'm like a race car driver. And I can do, she goes, okay. And she goes to the third guy and she says, how close do you think you can get? And with a smile on his face, he says, I think I can stay about six or seven feet away from that wall. Who do you think got the job? Six or seven feet away. You see, what we call compromise and pushing the limits, come on, we want to try and go as far as we can without sinning. How close can I get? How how, how close can I get without falling in? Here's the best approach. Look at this. The best approach is this, to wonder how far we can stay away from the temptation. If this was a big cliff right here, what happens if I stand here? I've got the risk I could fall in, and I could be in control right now, but I've got the risk. What happens if I step back here? Even if I fall, I'm probably not going to fall. And that's the problem. The world wants to take us up to the edge, and we think we're safe, but here's what many of us are doing. We're just a breath away from falling. So instead of how close, let me give you some ways to help. Are you ready? Let me help you. Here's some ways to help you practical. Number one, keep four feet on the floor at all times. All four feet. Let me paint the picture. You and someone else, all four feet on the floor at one time. That's going to help you. Come on. Here's, a, here's another help for you. Ready? Keep your bed, your bed. It's not our bed. Keep your bed. All right. Number three, keep everything, keep everything buttoned and zipped. Come on. I'm just helping you out in the house today. Come on. Come on. (laughs) Here's number four. You ready? Keep your tongue in your own mouth. And you're going to help yourself with that. You know, when we can laugh about this and have fun, but this really is a serious topic. And I just want you to understand that. And you may be sitting here tonight, and probably most, let's just be real. You're sitting here tonight and say, too late, Pastor. I've I've already done that. I've already bit the cherry. We've already done the deed. We've already done whatever. You know, it's over. It's done. But you know what? Here's the promise that we have in God. And only God can offer us this promise. You can start afresh tonight. You don't have to say, well, that's what I've always done. Stupidity. Isn't that the definition of stupidity? Doing the same thing and expecting a different result. The insanity. That's it. That's insanity. Just was checking on you. Just checking. Huh? So tonight you can start afresh. You can ask questions. You can listen to the questions that are asked. And you can gain a biblical perspective about what God says. I can't go back and change my past. But I can change from today forward. And I can make a fresh commitment in my life. So what was the question? Sex, yes or no? Yes, when it's in God's order. In the confinements of marriage. And outside of that, it's just going to cause you hurt and pain. And Kelly's going to come up and we're going to take some questions in a couple of minutes. But let me just give you some practical pointers too. Look, let me give you a few others. Are you ready? Practical pointers. Number one, guard your eyes. Guard your eyes. Job speaks about this. Babes, you can come up. Job speaks about this. Job says, I will protect my eyes. What Job was really saying was this, I'm going to bounce my eyes. 
You know what it means to bounce your eyes? Guys, it's probably more of a guy thing than a girl thing. But I was shocked and amazed to see the statistics that just as much women have a problem with pornography now than what men have. It used to be predominantly a male issue, but now it's a female issue too. And you know what Job was saying is, I bounce my eyes. I will not look upon someone with lust. And so, so if you're on the TV or you're watching something and something, some image comes up, what do you do? Bounce your eyes. Come on now. Some of you need to get whiplash. Just bounce it. So much. What? Huh? And I'm not talking about rubber ball. I come bouncing back to you. You're not bouncing back at that. You're taking it away. Got to guard your eyes. Are you ready? Here's the second thing. Capture. Say with me, capture. You've got to capture your sinful thoughts. Bring your thoughts, the Bible says, into captivity. In other words, you, you have control over what you allow to stay. Maybe what comes in, you don't have control over. But you have allowed control over what stays and remains. Look at this. Run away from anything sexually tempting. If that's a weakness, an area, get out of it. Run away from it. Look at this one. Here's a good one. Invite others to hold you accountable. That's really big right there. Have accountability in your life. I I surrounded myself with people when I was young that held me accountable. I remember John Norman, who's now the pastor of my parents' church in England. He was away um, in, in Switzerland. And in Switzerland right now, they have pornographic channels on regular TV that you can watch on regular TV. And so you can imagine the temptation for a young guy, 19 years of age, staying in a hotel, gone from his family and friends all week. But you know what? He had a guy called Steve Morstan who he talked to every day. And Steve Morstan would challenge him every day and say, John, have you been watching what you don't need to watch? Now, accountability only works if you're going to be transparent because he could have said no. But accountability only works if you're willing to be open and be transparent. Here's the next one. State your standards up front. Kelly and I did that, and we may talk about that a little bit later in the questions. We stated our standards. We told each other because we had come out of a relationship. Kelly was widowed. Um, Her husband was killed in a car accident. I was divorced. Kelly and I both had children out of marriage. And so we looked at each other and we said something that's so important for us to do. We've got a do-over. We can do it right. And we stated our intentions from the beginning. And I said to her these words, when I'm weak, I need you to be strong. And when you're weak, then I need to be strong. And I told her and she told me and we voiced those. And I'm, I'm just telling you right now, that saved us when the temptation came. That saved us because we reminded ourselves and knew what we wanted in that. Here's another one. Keep godly company. Keep good company. Be around people who are going to encourage you. A lot of people out there are looking at you. We're dealing with that right now. Even in a Christian school, our kids are in. Our 15-year-old, 16-year-old son is almost looked at crazy because he's a virgin. And it's amazing. You've got to be around the right company. It's not going to say, man, you need to go out and, and sample and you need to test drive before you buy the deal. No, no, no. You need to be around people who are going to be the good company for you. And here's the last one. Here's a good one. You've got to repent quickly after failure. If you mess up, don't stay in it. Because God is gracious and merciful to forgive you. One more scripture and then we're going to take some questions. If you haven't filled those out and you've still got time, even during tonight, Laura is going to be reading out the questions. So if you've got your questions, you need to get them into Laura. I don't know. You want to come and sit here at the front somewhere, Laura? And so if you want questions anytime during the question, if you've still got another question, you can bring them up to Laura, okay? But let me read this one more scripture. You ready? No temptation is overtaking you except is common to man. Can you meet that for me, Josh? Okay? But God is faithful. God is faithful to do what? Come on. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And even when you are tempted, what does God say? I'll provide a way out. And God wants to be your way of escape. God wants to be your help. God wants to be your strength. So you may say tonight, I'm not strong enough to beat this. I can't make it. You're not strong enough on your own, but with God, you can. I said, with God, you can. With God, you can. So are we ready? Yeah. Are you ready? ready? (laughs) Okay. Um, The categories are sex, love, relationships. Um, This first question is, 
Is happiness possible when a man or a woman who is not saved by the blood of Jesus Christ is happiness possible? To be with someone who's In a relationship. not... Yeah, yeah, there is still happiness. I, I believe the Bible speaks about don't be unequally yoked. And if we are going to enter into a relationship, that I believe should be one of the non-negotiables that you go into. But obviously there are people in situations where you've got saved, given your life to Christ after that particular person has been married. So therefore now you may be living with and married to someone who is not a Christian. And I believe, yes, happiness can be found, but yet true happiness is something you need to strive for. And that is this. You need to pray that that person would come to the same relationship with God as you are so that there can be complete unity in the home. Because there's never going to be complete unity in the home. And happiness is based on happenings. And so I don't want to have a happy house. I want to have a holy house. And the difference is not just on the happenings, but no matter what happens. So, yes, it's possible to have happiness, but yet go one step further. I want our house to be holy, and holiness comes through us being joined together and become one. Yeah, and I think, too, whenever you become married, um, you realize how horrible and selfish you are. Uh, Marriage brings that out in you. You realize that, and you need God to help you through that. And to have, and, and all the trials that come, the Bible says when you get married, you're going to have trouble. And um, you need God to, to help you with that. So it's important. And Peter talks about this. Listen to me. Peter talks in the realm of a lady to a man, but it's the same way both ways too. He talks about that you can win them to Christ by your example and by how you are. And so if they're miserable, be the happiness for your home. Be the example of Christ and believe that God will bring salvation. Um, Next question. What is the biblical definition of a marriage? Genesis 2.24 says this. And there was a God made man, male and female, and he created them that way. And he said they'll leave their father and mother and be joined to each other. So the definition of marriage from the beginning of time is one man and one woman that would be joined together. Now, what has the law told us today? It can be woman and woman. It can be man to man. That's what man says, but that's not what God says. You may say, well, that's the law of the land. Well, listen, the law of the land doesn't determine your relationship with God and your spirituality. And so therefore, we are called as children of God to follow God's word and God's truth. So the definition of marriage is this, one man and one woman that would be joined together. Joined together how? To be joined together, Star, the thought of being joined together is coming together as one. It's that sexual intimacy coming together because the highest form of love is is sexual intimacy. So when God talks about them being joined together, that was it, them coming together because it talks about in the Word of God. Some people have said this. Well, where does it say about sex before marriage? The thought of sex before marriage in the Bible is every time you hear the word fornication. Fornication means that sexual intercourse outside of marriage. So what we see is God created it to be good for man and wife to be joined together. And so that was that which joined a man and wife together was really that act, that intimacy was part of that covenant and commitment that they made together. And that's why it's so abused now. And that's why there's so much confusion with people because it was meant to bring security and oneness and togetherness. And now it's just been so belittled and devalued Um, and also too you know being one is one in everything not just intimacy it's being one you know sharing sharing responsibilities with with just everything with the kids um, money we know people who who separate their money and you know that's that's not biblical either that's good okay if you can't con god and you marry so you can hurry and have sex Will that marriage ultimately fail? I don't believe so. I mean, I I think you're building it on a bad foundation. But Paul does say it's better to marry than to burn with lust. But what I'm saying is this. We preached a message on Sunday, the four foundations of marriage. And that was the, the law of priority, pursuit, 
Help me out. Possession and purity. Is that right? Did I get them all? Okay. Now you apply those to any relationship and you're going to see God bless that. Now, I believe that if, if your motive is that you just want to have sex and that's why you got married, then be careful because you're building that relationship on the wrong foundation. Because what happens when they say no thank you? What happens when they're tired? What happens when you get older and kids and just everything comes? Sex cannot be the glue that holds a relationship together. It's love that has to be that which holds it together. So don't just race so you could just have sex. I mean, ask God to help you with your passions, your lusts and your desires. But can God bless it? Yes, but you're probably coming from a negative to start with. And marriage can be tough enough without starting it from behind the curve, if that makes sense. You got anything? Okay, you ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Is masturbation or oral sex a sin with the husband or wife? Um, here's, here's, no, here's what I believe. I believe that what we think today, we've labeled sex in the Christian world as the missionary position, Okay. We've labeled that that's the only sex that you can have, okay? And, and, and face-to-face and having that intimacy. And it's not really true. God gave us sex to be creative, to enjoy each other. And the deal is this. When it is in marriage, it's not sexually immoral. But I will say this. It has to be agreed on by both parties, Okay, so if a husband is asking the wife to do something she's not comfortable with, then that's not godly. But if both are comfortable in doing that, I don't believe it is perverted. I don't believe it's it's filth to have to do those things because I believe God gave us those things to enjoy each other and to have fun together. So within the confines of marriage, I believe that God does give us liberty and I don't believe it's perverted and I don't believe it's wrong. She's going to go with that. But I will, I, will say, I will say this. I will say this, though. I will say this, though. But masturbation, oral sex outside of marriage is still sex. We had a president who said, I had no sexual relationships. And it's a lie. It is still sex because that is, that is outside. It, it is those things. Okay. How long after you start dating do you know you were going to get married? How long after you're dating do you know you should get married at that point? Like, how do you know? Well, I think, um, I I guess it just depends on the relationship. I mean, um, for us, it was, you know, we had children. um, So uh, we wanted to make sure that we were compatible. But also, you know, we knew kind of right away um, that we wanted to get married. So I guess it just depends. I mean, if... If you both love God and you feel like, I don't think there's a time limit, really. I think it's just to its own individual. Because we got married pretty quick. I don't think there's a time limit. But I will say this. I think, I think you're better to take longer before marriage so you can have a marriage that goes for life. I think one thing that I think we jump into, uh, and there's a great book, and I would recommend every one of you, if you want information, you should read this book. It's called Love, Sex, and Happily Ever After by Greg Crochelle. It's one of the greatest books that I've ever read on this topic. And one of the chapters in there talks about the gears of dating, just like a car. You're driving a car, the old stick shift, you would go first, second, third, fourth. And it talks about going through the gears of dating. And the problem today is in the society that we have, people are sleeping together on their first date. People are going all in from the beginning. And it talks about building a friendship. And that's what Kelly and I did. Can, listen to me right now. Before... I fell in love with Kelly before I really knew what she looked like. Now, you may say, what do you mean by that? Kelly had started coming to the church. I knew Kelly. Could I pick Kelly out of a crowd? Yes, I could. Could I tell you how beautiful her eyes were? Could I tell you about her dimples? Could I tell you about things? I couldn't tell you about those at the time. I knew her from a crowd, but I didn't really know her. But I fell in love with her for this reason. We, we became best friends. 
and we build on a relationship of friendship. So I fell in love with her before I was caught away with how beautiful that she was. Do you make sense of that? And so I did it from the right platform and we did it that way. And I'm telling you, take it slow. And here's red flags for you. You ready? Some red flags for you. If everyone else around you thinks that person is a jerk, listen to what people are saying. Because where's all my ladies in the house? My ladies in the house have the tendency to go to the junkyard and see the potential in the guy. Tires may be flat. The lights may be broken. The windows may be smashed. But guess what? I can fix him up. I'm telling you, listen to me. Listen to me right now. You ready? You don't need to be in a fixer-upper relationship. You need someone to get fixer-uppered on their own so you can drive the car and not just hope that one day you'll be able to. Okay, so be really careful. So red flags is look around you. If everyone else is saying they're a jerk, there's something you've got to see. people that are close to you. Like, you know, if, if your parents, you know, if you, if you trust your parents and they're, you know, if they're telling you, you know, they don't like them or close friends that you um, respect, if they're telling you things um, that they don't like them or they're not sure, you know, just be aware of those things because it's very important that the people that you love and respect love the people that you're with as well. And they usually can tell. Red flag number two, look how their relationship is with their family. If they don't have a relationship with their family, there there may be some problems. And again, there's exceptions to all the rules. And number three, are you ready? If they don't have a job, if they don't have... I'm telling you right now, that's a red flag right there. Red flags right there. If they don't love Jesus, man, that's not a red flag. That's run for your life. So, So again, how long does it take... How successful do you want to be in your marriage? Because how long did it take you to go to school? You thought you could have left in the second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. But there's a reason they have you for 12 grades in there. And it's not just because they're teaching you more, but you need to mature and grow up. So it's the same in your relationships. Anything has to have a time period or it's not going to be healthy. A baby in a womb has to be there for a certain amount of time. If it comes early, it may survive, but it may struggle and it may die ultimately. But when it's gone full term, there's going to be success. So don't raise stuff. And here's what I would say to every one of you. Seek godly wisdom. Seek godly counsel and be open to counsel because here's what a lot of people say. They want to come to counsel and say, I want to hear what you say. And that's a problem. Counseling is this. I want to surrender to anything you tell me. I want to submit my life to it. Because what happens when I come to hear what you say? If I like it, I take it. And if I don't, I... So I've got to surrender to that. So be careful. Don't race it. Oh, well, we're in love. Well, if you're in love today, you'll be in love tomorrow. And so don't speed something up. And watch too. I know we could go on and on for this. But watch if you're on the rebound too. Because a lot of times you're not emotionally stable, so you'll clam and you'll grab whatever you can. Yeah, so make, a, so make a list, just to kind of summarize, of non-negotiables. You know, does he love God? Does she love God? You know, job, you know, friends, family, do they like him? But then, um, um, what was it? Non-negotiables. And then, I mean, there's, are, there's things that are negotiable, you know, like the color of his hair or the color of his eyes. You know, maybe you think you want tall, dark, and handsome, but, you know, that's negotiable if he has all the other things. That answer leads into this question. I'll change the question. Uh, I'm in a relationship, and both of us are in leadership positions in tr- different churches. What is your advice on two people serving God from two different churches? It's a struggle because the Bible says anything that's divided is going to struggle. And we can say, well, we're in churches, so we're not divided because we're serving in different capacities. But then the question is this. If we get married, we maybe can go to do two places. But when we have kids, where do our kids go? Do they go to a week this church and go to a week to this church? Where does our tithes go? Where does our time go? Where does our... And so what's happened is a church that should unify and bring people together now is dividing. Yeah. 
And so I think anything that would cause division, we've got to be very careful about. And so that's a conversation that you need to have before you get serious. Because if one says, well, I'm not going to give up and I'm not going to give up, then that's grounds to say, well, we don't belong together. But, and for one thing, too, is the husband or the future husband should be the priest and leader of the home. And so it really should be a case. Kelly and I were talking about this. But it really should be a case that wherever the husband chooses to go, that the wife would follow. And if there's a resistance to that, too, if that wife is not submitting to that husband in that decision, then she's not going to be submissive in other areas, too. So what I would say is be very careful. Oh, we're both serving in church. That's great. That's great. But you know what? It can be trouble. Use this. Well, I'm living in America and they're living in England. It's great because I love America. I love England. But come on, there's a big gap in between that can cause problems in a relationship. So you've got to be careful with that. Yeah, Yeah, I can remember with my first marriage, um, um, I was living with my boyfriend. We had um, my first our first child together and we were just living together. And then I got saved and I started feeling guilty. So, um, but this was before we got married. And then, you know, so I told him, you know, I I don't feel right about this. So ended up, we got married. Um, We were planning on anyway, but we just rushed it. But um, anyway, so my point is this, is that, you know, I got saved at a different church that he was going to. And, you know, he he eventually made the decision that, you know, I want to go to this church because this is where I grew up. And, and, you know, I respectfully um, honored that. So, I mean, that that is, it's very important because you do, you do have to, you know, have the head of the household, which is usually the man. And if he's serving God and loves God, it's it's easy to, to submit to. Okay. These two kind of go together um, for husband and wife. What happens when one spouse is experiencing depression, postpartum, um, or they are older and there's no affection, no intimacy has fallen away from the marriage? How do you get that back? And how do you desire to be intimate again? You know, we talked about this on Sunday. Just because intimacy, emotion has gone doesn't mean it's gone forever. Obviously, a fire is, is it's, it's easier to stoke a fire to put a log on a fire that's already burning, but we can get a match out again. We can get some lighter fluid. We can get some papers. We can get together with Kindle, and we can start that fire. It's harder, but it's possible. And um, what I would say is you've got to watch in those situations that you don't get resentful, and then you begin to become, um, you attack each other and all of that, and that never creates healthiness and all that. So again, you voice your opinions, you you voice your needs, you talk about those kind of things and believe it can be rekindled. And I believe it can. I believe it can come back because the problem we have in relationships today is this. We may, we may love that person, but we've fallen out of love with that person. And there's a difference that we can have. So we just got to rekindle that and ask God to rekindle that to give them what they need, not what they deserve, because if we're keeping score, it's never going to be good. So we just keep working towards that. Yeah, I think communication is key. I mean, in every relationship, as long as you stay open and honest with each other, then you can help each other. And what you've got to realize in relationships too, when you're male and female, you're not wrong, you're just different. So Kelly has some things in her life that are not needs of my life and vice versa. So here's the question. Is it wrong that your spouse has a need that you don't have? No. So what do you do in that case? Well, you may turn around and say, well, I just don't need sex. Well, maybe they do. So what happens? It's ungodly then for you to withhold something from them that they want. Why? Because the Bible says my body's not mine. It's hers. Her body's not hers. It's mine. So we've got to be very careful in that situation. Not, we're not withholding. Well, I don't need that, but maybe they do. And that's why there's so much unfaithfulness today. Because someone say, well, I don't need that. Well, what if they do? Your responsibility is to give your spouse and to try and meet every need that they have in their lives. Is that cool? Okay. Um, when overcoming a sexual addiction, how long should you wait to start um, dating again? Again, there's no question with this, but you've got to realize anything such as a sexual addiction or anything like that, you're going to be you're going to be kind of messed up. You're going to be hurt and you're going to be wounded. 
And you, you need to be healed. You need to be well. It's just the analogy I use a lot in sports, and I think about that. If, if I'm the star of a team and I'm wounded and I'm hurt, I've got to go and get the necessary healing I can so I can be the star again because I don't want to just be a player on the team. I want to be the star of the team. And that's what you've got to realize. God has created us all to be a star. Sexual abuse, hurt, addictions, all those things want to devalue our lives and to take away the thought that we're ever worth anything. And you've got to find that worth and value again and get that healing that you are. Because if not, you're going to find yourself slipping straight back into that thing again. And it's going to pull you back into it. So how long, how long does it take to get you well? How long? You just got to know that you are well and not hopefully well. And again, seek godly counsel, have accountability, have all of these kind of things around you just to help you with that. Um, This is a family question. What do you do if you have children that have been raised by parents that live together, they're not married, and you want your children to go into the way of God in the word? If you're still living unmarried? Well, the first thing I would say is be the example and turn around and say, hey, listen, we're either one of us is going to go and live with mama for a while or get married, get married and then sit down with your kids and tell them. I think some of the greatest lessons that you can have in life as parents with your children is to say to them, we're wrong and here's what's wrong. Because if you're trying to put out this front that we're perfect and we never have any struggles, what happens when they have struggles? They don't know how to deal with them. So if we're open about our struggles and our sin and what we've done wrong, listen, we've got a couple right now in, in our church that have had to make a stand with their family that two years ago they had a completely different opinion on. Why? Because they weren't in church. They weren't committed to God. So their opinion of this particular subject was like, as long as you're happy. But now something's changed inside of them. So they've now had to make a stand and it's been tough for them. But yet they know it's the right thing to do. So as parents, don't excuse. You know, I'm going to ask this question on Sunday and I'm going to spoil it for you all. Here's the question I'm going to ask on Sunday is this. Do you want your kids to have a marriage like yours? That's pretty big right there. You can say, well, no, it's a yes or no. So you've got to either say, if you can say yes, then keep working on it. But if you say no, you've got to make some changes. So if you're not married and you're not living together, what are you showing for your kids? What are they saying is going to be right? And then we're so strict on them and saying, don't do that. And we're living like that. So we've got to turn around and part our ways maybe or go into a different room. I've had people do that. Listen in our church that God told them and they went in separate bedrooms, still living in the house, still functioning as a family. But they went to separate bedrooms until they said, hey, we're going to get married and we're going to do it God's way. Because you may have you may think, well, everything's good, but you are withholding the blessing of God in your life if you're not doing things God's way. You're withholding the blessing of God in your life if you're not doing it God's way. Yeah, I think sometimes, too, just like both of us, like he said, you know, we had children out of wedlock, both of us. So I think it was important for us to be an example to our kids and to be able to tell them, look, we did it wrong, but, you know, we're going to do it right this time. And so that, you know, it makes a difference once you have kids, you know, before when you young, you're young and you're not living for God, you just, you don't think about those things, but... Once your kids are here, you know, you have to think about what am I going to tell them when they get to that age? It's never too late to make a fresh start. You may have to kind of fight a little bit harder, but it's never too late to today say, as for me and my house, we're going to do it God's way. And, oh, well, we've just done this for so long now. This is who we are. No, it's not who you are. It's who you are in Christ you need to worry about. So you need to make it right with God. So it's never too late to draw a line in the sand and say, we're going to make some changes and we're going to do things the right way, right way. We're going to take like five more minutes and then we're going to break. You want us to keep going? Well, listen, here's no, listen, here's what we're going to do. Okay. In five minutes, what we're going to do in five minutes, we're going to take a five minute break. And then what we're going to do is this in the classroom and in the youth room in the back, we're set up for a men's and women's group. If you want to go to a men's or women's group, you are welcome to do that. But Kelly and I are going to stay here with whoever wants to stay. And we're going to 
keep taking questions. Is that cool? So at 7.40, we're going to have a five-minute break. And then if you want to go into the men's group or the ladies' group, please feel free to do that. If not, you can stay with us in the house. Is that cool? Is that cool? Okay, this, these two questions are both um, pertaining to divorce, so we're going to try and do these together. Why is it a sin to marry a divorced woman, and is there ever a reason to get a divorce? You know, again, this is a subject that there's a lot of debate about, you know, about that you commit an adultery if you're married to people. And I understand all of those things. But here's what I would say too: God wants us to be happy in life. Now, God's desire for happiness in our life is different to my desire to be happy. God doesn't want me to be lonely. God doesn't want me. And God knows that if we make mistakes in our life, we've all made them. That if we repent and come clean with God, we can find forgiveness. And I believe the same can be true with marriage. I believe if you failed in marriage, I failed in marriage. And I'm not saying this because, because I'm trying to make an excuse for myself. I don't believe for the rest of my life it would have been honoring to God for me just to be miserable and on my own for the rest of my life. And people can say, well, the Bible says you can't remarry because you're committing adultery and you're doing da 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 You know what? I believe that under the blood... A lot of things, everything can be erased and changed. And I believe that when we do things God's way and we can be honoring to him, I believe God can bless that. Kelly and I's marriage is so blessed. We are so blessed by God. And so if we weren't blessed by God, we would have to live under that. But you've got to understand, one of the reasons why God talked about divorce like he did was because God's original intent for marriage was forever. And someone said, well, why did Moses say you could put her away in a certificate of divorce? And Jesus replied and said, because of the hardness of your heart, but from the beginning, Matthew 19, from the beginning, it was not so. God created marriage for life. Man has perverted. God created life to be sacred. Look what man does today with it. God created so many things to be perfect. Man has polluted it, destroyed it, and just messed with it. But I'm telling you, we can, I believe, pick up the pieces of our failure and we can honor God with our marriage. We can honor God with our life. So if you've been through a divorce, I would say this to you right now. Shake the shame. Shake the guilt of that. Because if we're looking for something, I I, I tell myself this when people have said to me, well, you shouldn't stand up and preach the gospel because you're divorced. Well, I say to them, okay. Who would be able to preach the gospel if you're going to go like that? Because you shouldn't lie, you shouldn't murder, you shouldn't covet, you shouldn't lust, you shouldn't commit adultery. You shouldn't. If, if we're looking for perfection to preach the gospel, that's why Jesus was able to open the scroll and preach, because he was the only one that was capable of doing that. So it's not an excuse. It's the fact that we can use our testimony to help other people, and we can bring hope and forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, Last question, then we'll break. Oh, wait, no, I don't know. Um, is sex a feeling or an act? Because marriage is an act based on love and feeling that creates a human being if you are married. Is sex a feeling? Of course it's a feeling. But if it's only a feeling, what happens when the feelings go? And so that's what we've got to be very careful. If we're basing our lives on feelings, feelings change. Your feelings will lie to you. And so sex, of course, feels good, but originally what sex meant to be was a level of intimacy that goes beyond feeling. And it's a commitment, it's a love, it's a togetherness and oneness. So is there feeling from sex? Hopefully there is, because if not, you're not going to enjoy it. Okay, so hopefully there is a feeling God gave us ways that we stimulate each other so we can have those feelings, so we can have pleasure, we can have desire. But if all it is is pleasure and desire, then really what we've made it is lust. And God doesn't want sex to be lust. He wants it to be love. And this is the way that we talk about sex in our home. We really talk about sex in the term of outside of marriage. Kelly and I talk about it in the terms of marriage as making love. 
And you, you can say, oh, it's the same thing. Yeah, maybe it is on paper, but in reality it's different. Because she's not just an object, okay? She's someone I value and I want to be intimate and close and one with. So it's not just my feelings, because feelings are selfish too. And, and, and I'll abuse her if it's just my feelings. Because what if she's not feeling what I feel? So that's why it has to be a love. And also, too, in general, love is a choice. You know, there's going to be feelings fade. Um, life gets hard. We all go through different seasons. And we have to choose to love sometimes. We have to choose to... to to meet each other's needs, even when we don't need that at the moment. I mean, that's what marriage is about. You know, Kelly and I, we try to keep a very open. Here's what we try to do at least once a month. And we need to really remind ourselves to do this more often because we've just been so busy, it seems like, lately. But at least once a month, we try to have what we call a opportunity for us to share whatever we want with each other without being judged, corrected, interrupted, or anything. So, Kelly, what is it that I need to change? And she may see things in me that I certainly don't see. What is it that you need to change? We, ha- we had a great conversation last night out on a Valentine's. What do we need to do in our relationship? How can we help each other? How can we make our marriage stronger? What can we do? And I admitted some things that I wasn't doing and I needed to step up and Kelly the same. And so it's great to have those opportunities frequently. What, 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 what did we used to call it? I'm trying to remember what we called it. What we call it? Just an open, like open mic kind of thing. But, but we just kind of pillow talk, you know, open, you know, and, and so just an opportunity. And hey, one thing I would say this, and then we've got a break. Can I tell you, if you're a married couple, one of the best things that you can do is you can get something like maybe a teddy bear, just something, and use that, that if you need to talk to your spouse about something, put it somewhere, like on the bed. So like when I come in at night, I see that on there, and I know Kelly's placed that there, and that means that she needs to talk. in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, when it's placed on the couch, then I'm really in trouble, you know. But it's, but it's, but it's really good. We actually did that for a marriage conference once. We gave everyone a pink elephant, you know, pink elephant in the room. And we said, put that out. And it works so well for people. If you've got something that you're just worried about. And so, you know, as a spouse, before we go to bed tonight, there's something that we need to discuss. And, and it's just a good thing that you keep that open communication there. Because if not, you're going to go to bed bitter and you're going to wake up more resentful. And then all of a sudden, that, that girl at work is going to be appealing to you a whole lot more. And that guy, he's listening to you and you love how he's connected to you. Come on, get something to put out to say we need to talk. And realize when we get time, let's talk because we've got kids, we've got life, we've got cooking, we've got cleaning, everything. But make sure if that's put out, that before you go to bed at night, that you handle that. Listen, we've got five minutes that we're going to let you go.